Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us, as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. Well, we've now arrived at the final chapter and the conclusion of the book of Romans. And what an amazing journey it has been found within this epistle some of the deepest, most profound, life-changing doctrine in all of Scripture. The themes and theology are so foundational and fundamental that this book has been called the Constitution for the Christian. However, when you come to the personal epilogue of this epistle that began back in chapter 15 in verse 14, some have overlooked and even neglected the 16th chapter. And perhaps one of the reasons is that there isn't any specific doctrinal emphasis at the end of the letter, but instead there are several lists of names. For the most part, people we know nothing about, but... If you were to skip this portion of the letter, you would miss out on some wonderful insights into the life of the Apostle Paul, as well as other Christians who either worked with Paul, were imprisoned with Paul, or were loved and appreciated by Paul. When reading through the book of Acts, there is this tendency, when observing the ministry and the missionary journeys of Paul, to assume that he was this incredible giant in the faith, the star franchise player of the early church and the superhero kind of saint who worked alone. And you can get the impression that it was Paul and Jesus standing against the world. And granted, there are recorded accounts in Scripture when Paul was alone with no one else around him to support him or to be there for him. He did have enemies that hated him, opposed him, imprisoned him, and attempted to undermine all the work that he had done. But at the same time, he had friends and loved ones that supported him in the ministry. In the final chapter, the Apostle Paul lists over 30 names. 24 of the names are mentioned of the people who were in Rome. 17 men, 7 women. Later on, he makes mention of nine other people who were with him at the time when he wrote this epistle, eight men and one woman. He also mentions two households, two unnamed women as well. And this is the astonishing thing about that. At this point, Paul had not yet visited the church in Rome. In other words, these people that he mentions were people that he had already met on his missionary journeys. Some of them, he led to Christ, and he still knew where they were and was concerned about them and thankful for them. Folks, one of the practical applications that will become clear from this text is this. We cannot stand all by ourselves in the Christian life. We have need of godly, healthy relationships within the congregation, relationships which are centered upon Jesus and our mutual love for him. The Bible presents a warning to the person who seeks to isolate themselves. 
It says in the scriptures that that person rages against all wisdom. If you show me a man or a woman who simply walks through these doors on Sunday and then walks out, says very few words to some in passing, you may find that same person lacks accountability and a deep sense of fellowship that we all so desperately need. Now, I'm not saying you have to be everyone's best friend or be something that you're not, but I am saying that there is such tremendous value in having people in your life to pray for you, to hold you accountable. People that you can actually converse with and get beyond the surface, beyond weather and sports and politics and recipes and interior design and to the issues of the heart. Paul knew that he could not do the work of the ministry alone. And this epistle concludes with the mention of the names of those whom he loved and appreciated. And so he begins in verse 1 and 2 with greetings to Rome. It says here, I commend to you Phoebe, a sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencrea, that you receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she's been a helper of many and of myself also. In the list of friends and fellow laborers in the gospel, Paul begins and devotes two verses to a woman whose name was Phoebe. He describes her as a servant, as a sister, and as a helper. The name Phoebe, incidentally, means bright and radiant. This woman was from the area of Sencrea, which was the port city just outside of Corinth from where Paul was writing this letter. Phoebe was given the sacred and trusted responsibility of carrying the epistle to the Romans. Imagine this. The future of Christian theology was placed in this woman's hands and she carried it across land and sea and delivered this message to the church. When Paul speaks of her, he refers to her as a sister. That means she's a believer in Christ. She's part of the family of God. He calls her a servant, which is where we get the word deacon in the scriptures. Many believe perhaps she was a deaconess. There were many women in the early church who ministered in practical areas of ministry that included visiting the sick, taking care of the poor, teaching younger women, delivering an important epistle. Phoebe was faithful in that she helped many within the church. And Paul adds, she helped me personally within the ministry. It's worth pointing out that Paul mentions more women in this epistle than any other literature of the day. And I point that out because there are some who have accused the Apostle Paul of being narrow and chauvinistic in his opinion of women. But on the contrary, Paul saw women in the church playing a vital role in helping to further the kingdom of God. Phoebe was a faithful servant. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a faithful servant? Have you taken steps to get involved where you can get involved? What is the extent of your commitment in serving the Lord? And I'm not just speaking of the church. I'm talking outside of the church. What about in your home? where your Christianity is really tested and seen for what it is. Are you a servant? Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. 
Jesus set the example of what it meant to be a servant. And it's not serving to fulfill a need in my life to be needed. It's serving for the sake of responding to what Jesus has done for me. One day we want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful. What? Servant. And that was Phoebe. But what about you? What about me? In the janitorial closet where I got my supplies daily for my jobs throughout the day, there was a placard on the wall that said, you will know you're a servant by the way you act when you're treated like one. I hated that plaque. You know, but it was there. It was always a reminder of what was really in my heart. Then Paul mentions a couple. He says in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. If you want to talk about a power couple, these two right here, Priscilla and Aquila, humbly serve the Lord together, and they are mentioned six times in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 18, we learn of how Paul became acquainted with this couple. It was when the emperor Claudius had issued a decree banishing all Jews from Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were forced to leave their home and they ended up in Corinth. And while they were there, they started up a business of making tents. Paul met them there. He also being a tent maker, they began to work together and they planted a church in the area of Corinth. Now, when Paul left for Ephesus, they accompanied him. And later on in Acts chapter 18, it says that Aquila and Priscilla were in the synagogue. And while they were there, they heard a man named Apollos, who the Bible says was mighty in scripture, and he was eloquent, and he was debating with the religious leaders. And for the most part, he was holding his own, but he lacked knowledge. He only knew about the baptism of John. And so Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos to their home, and the Bible says they explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. They helped him to understand what he did not yet perceive. And because this couple invested and ministered in the life of one man, Apollos, he went on to have a powerful ministry in the church. The next time we hear of this couple, they are still in Ephesus where Paul was writing his letter to the Corinthians. And in chapter 16, he mentions their names again and how they had begun another church in their house. Later on, when the edict of Claudius was lifted, Aquila and Priscilla returned back to Rome and they started yet another church within their home. At the end of his life, Paul wrote to Timothy and he instructed him to be sure and greet this couple whom he loves so dearly. There are several characteristics that stand out within the life of this couple. First of all, they were courageous. Paul makes reference to a time when this couple... He said, they literally stuck out their necks for me. Now, when this happened, we're not certain. Some suggest that it was while they were in Ephesus, and you remember a riot broke out as a result of Paul's ministry, and perhaps somehow this couple helped Paul escape. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that Paul was forever grateful, and all of the churches were grateful because of their ministry. 
But also this couple, although they lived a fairly nomadic life, they resided in Rome, they lived in Corinth, they were in Ephesus, and then they went back to Rome. One thing that you find about this couple is that they served the Lord and their home was a place of ministry. Is your home a place of ministry? I didn't say misery. I said ministry where people come in and are ministered to and you invest in the lives of other people. That was this couple. And what a joy it is when you observe husband and wife serving Jesus together. I'm sure that you want your marriage to be blessed. One way that will add blessing to your marriage and enhance it greatly is serving Jesus together. You're, you're a team. Now, maybe some of you, you attend church here without your spouse. Maybe they're not a believer and you say, I, I would love to do that. Don't be discouraged. You serve the Lord here. You serve the Lord at home and pray for your spouse. But nonetheless, folks, when you have two people, husband, wife, both drawing near to the Lord, both serving the Lord together, it is a wonderful thing to behold. The Bible says two are better than one in this regard. And then in verse five, Paul says, greet Eponitus, who is the first fruits of Achaia in Christ. Paul refers to this man, Eponitus, and he calls him, an interesting word, the first fruits. First fruits is, if you've read through the Old Testament, you know that it's related to a Jewish term. And it refers to that which is set apart to God before the remainder could be used. Under the law, Israel was required to bring the first fruits of their grain harvest and present it to the Lord. And this was an act by where they acknowledged that all of the harvest was the Lord's, and they gave a first portion back to him. Also, the first fruits of a harvest of grain was an indication that a greater harvest would come. Therefore, when Paul refers to Eponidas as the first fruit, he means this, he was the first person to get saved in his ministry there, and he never forgot about him. He said, make sure you greet him. As you know, if you were here last week, my wife and I were out of town. We had the privilege of going back to a church that we, by the grace of God, planted over 22 years ago. And I'll never forget the first convert in that church. He was my next door neighbor. And he and his wife, I remember we had an Easter Sunday in a little recreational center with maybe 25 people. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm evangelizing the story. It was not very many people. (laughs) 25 people. And I remember feeling so awkward, but my neighbors were there. And I thought, maybe I should give an invitation. Ah, but man, it's just 25 people. This is so awkward. I remember saying, listen, if you're here this morning and, and you'd like to receive Christ, just raise your hand up. And sure enough, both my neighbors, unbeknownst to them, husband and wife, they both raised their hand. They didn't know that each other raised their hand. They both got saved that day. First converts. And you know what? When I went back to see the church and dedicate the facility, I walked through the door and you know who the first person I saw was? The first convert of that church. Special place in my heart. 
And Paul says, Eponidas, greet him. He's the first fruits. I'm so thankful for him. Folks, listen, have you ever led someone to Christ? Have you ever had the privilege of praying with someone to receive Jesus? If you haven't, I encourage you, step out in faith. Well, what if they say no? So they say no. What if they say yes? You might be shocked. Would you like to pray to receive Christ? Yes, I would. Oh, um, let, are you sure? Because did I, you know, and then suddenly you pray. There's nothing like it. Don't be afraid to reach out in that way and ask someone. And here, Paul had led this man to the Lord and he never forgot him. And then in verse six, he greets an, another woman. He says, greet Mary, who labored much for us. When reading through the Bible, you find that there are many ladies with the name Mary. Mary, the mother of our Lord, Mary of Magdala, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary, the mother of John Mark, and this unknown saint here, Mary. Paul says, greet her because she has, and the word used, labored much for us. The word labor means to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion, to physically be worn out, weary, or faint, to engage in hard work with the implication of difficulty and trouble. It is also used especially of labor that is undergone by an athlete in training. In other words, Paul says, that little lady there, Mary, she gave maximum effort when it came to serving the Lord, 100%. It wasn't like, well, what's the least amount that I can do? Are there going to be donuts if I do it? Is there going to be creamer for the coffee? Because I don't know if I really want to get, what's the, no, this lady was 100% maximum effort to the point of exhaustion, serving the Lord. It's actually the same word that is used in Luke chapter 5 when it says that the disciples toiled all night in fishing and caught nothing. Same word. I mean, just serving the Lord to the point of exhaustion. There have been moments in my life when I have been exhausted physically, emotionally, spiritually, just poured out everything that I had to pour out. And at the end of it, I was so exhausted, but it was a good exhaustion. It was a blessing. It wasn't like I was weary of the work. I was weary in the midst of it, but it was a good kind of weary because if the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good for you will reap if you do not lose heart. Friend, listen, if you're gonna labor, labor. The Bible says the Lord went out into the harvest field. He said, pray for the Lord to send out laborers. And that implies what it says. Labor, serve the Lord, 100%, maximum effort. Do it for the kingdom of God. That's what this lady did. What a great example. And then Paul, it appears, may have greeted some family members. Look at verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, the word there also kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were also in Christ before me. The word for countrymen, also translated kinsmen, can refer to blood relatives, meaning these could have been some of Paul's relatives or they were just from the same tribe as Paul, from the tribe of Benjamin, or they were simply of Jewish descent, as was Paul. 
But what we know for sure is there was a close relationship with them like family. And Paul said, they got saved before I did. And I find this interesting to think about because if Paul, as he indicates in Philippians, when he got saved, lost everything. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things, but he said, I count it as rubbish, garbage, that I might gain the righteousness of Christ. If Paul lost all of those things, disinherited by his family, his father turned his back on him because he was a Pharisee and his father was a Pharisee and and now he was just on his own. But yet he said, I've got some relatives. They got saved before me. Let me explain this to you. Have you ever, maybe this is is the context in your own family. Maybe you were the first one to get saved and no one else in your family was a Christian. My father was the first one to get saved in his family. And he led his six siblings to Christ. Finished his job before he went home to be with the Lord. But maybe you were the first one to get saved and you just feel, I'm so alone. I go home and nobody knows the Lord. And we get, and then you went to a family reunion or a Christmas party or something where the family got together and you met uncle, what's his name? And he's a Christian. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We're the only two Christians in the family. And then you just had this fellowship together and it's something so sweet that you never even knew and you stay in, I mean that, Paul's saying these people got saved before me. And not only did they get saved before me, but they also suffered alongside of me. They were in prison with me. Paul not only had this close family relationship with these people because they had the same faith in Christ, but also a deep relationship because they had suffered for the cause of Christ. There's something about relationships. When you suffer alongside of somebody, when you go through the valley together, there's something that binds you together in a way that is very unique when you suffer alongside of somebody. Paul said, I'm so thankful for my kinsmen who are believers like me and they suffered alongside of me. He was grateful for them. And then in verse eight, he says, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Great names, all of them. I want you to see that in the greeting of some of Paul's colleagues and friends in ministry, he refers to them as beloved. It's a term of endearment. It means you're deeply devoted and concerned about the other individual. Paul genuinely loved these people. Folks, listen, without love, the Bible says we are nothing. Nothing. Jesus told us, exhorted his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. We're exhorted to walk in love. Jesus said the world will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. Do you love people? Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also went on to say, don't just love those that love you. That's easy. The tax collectors can do that. Love the people that don't love you. In fact, Jesus took it a step further and he said, love your enemies. Do you love 
Do people know that you love them? These people that you work with, that you wouldn't have chosen to work alongside of, do you love them with the love of Christ? Paul looks at these people and he says to them, I love you. He's concerned about them. He's thankful for them. He loves them. And then he says in verse 10, and I want you to see this. You could easily pass over it. He says, greet Apelles approved in Christ. The word approved carries the idea of being tried, of being tested, and it was used of precious metals like gold and silver that passed through the tests of purity in the refining process. In some way, Paul doesn't say how, this guy Apelles was tested and he passed the test. He was refined in such a way in his faith that he earned the approval of many. Somewhere in his Christian service, he had been tested. And this word, by the way, is used in other places in Scripture. For example, James chapter 1. James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, that is approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to those who love him. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, in verse 15, Paul said to Timothy, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Any service that you attempt for the Lord, you will always be tested, you will always be tried, you will always be refined. You remember Job says in his book that at, when he was being tested that the Lord had, would test him and that he would come forth as gold. Maybe that describes your situation today. Perhaps you're being refined and what happens when you're being refined? I'll tell you what happens. I've experienced it repeatedly in my life. All of the impurities in your heart rise to the surface as the heat is turned. This is turning up the heat. Turning up the heat. Suddenly all these things that you didn't think were there, are, they're, very, they're there. Such as selfishness. I didn't think I was that selfish. I thought I was pretty giving. Actually, you're not. And here's, let me show you this. And then, um, you know, you thought you were patient. I thought I was pretty patient. Mm. I thought I was more passionate about the things of God than I am. Whatever it is, God just brings it to the surface. Now listen, he doesn't bring it to the surface in this, in this testing period in order to condemn us. Guys, he does it to refine us, to, to make us more like Jesus. And he's got his hand on the timer. He's got his eye. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's, got his, he's got, actually got his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the timer. Don't mess up the illustration. He, he knows what he's doing. This is the heat. This is the eye. You understand. He knows what he's doing. You may be in that spot today. You say, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what James said, count it all joy. <gasps> when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces character and character hope and so on and so forth. These things are very, and perseverance, these things are high on the priority list of God. Character and perseverance and hope. And how does that come about? Through the refining process. Don't think it's strange concerning these things. Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 877 877- 
877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.